Communications disruption can mean only one thing. This is Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome everyone to episode 69 of Jam Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Peter Viox, and please allow me to introduce my co-host, Mr. Rick Villanueva. Hey guys, 69, dudes. <laughs> you know, I was actually going to be like, you know, I'm not going to make any jokes about this today, but you know what? I'm glad, I'm glad someone went there, man. I, I, I really appreciate you. <laughs> Bill and Ted's, man, we got to start off on the right foot, be excellent to each other. That's what, we, that's what we're trying to promote. So let's just run with it. Let's go. I'm ready. Star Wars Day. Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, man. Happy Star Wars Day, man. And to you as well. And to all of our listeners as well. This is actually going to be a real fun episode, I think. Uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about today as far as news and some stuff that's come out. But before we get into all that stuff, man, I want to know how you've been. Uh, it's been a week, you know, as it usually is between our episodes. I just want to know how you're doing. What kind of Star Wars stuff you've been into, man? Well, let's just start off by saying it was hotter than... Uh... Mustafar in Chicago this week. So it made mm. for a pretty strenuous and long work week. A lot of sweat. I think I lost weight. But uh and I can't afford to lose any weight. I'm pretty small as it is. But Star Wars related, um what did we do this week? Well, watch some Jedi Temple Challenge with Isaac as we do every week. It's a lot of fun. And um kind of some good news, bad news. Um we our local bookstore here, Anderson's Books. Uh, is closing and it's kind of like our little neighborhood shop that we like to go to. And so everything is marked down and we went in there the other day on Thursday or Friday and I picked up a copy of the art of the rise of Skywalker for a 40% off cover price. So it was about $24, I think it's my first art of book. I, I don't really get into like the reference books or stuff like this. So took a dive in it yesterday with Isaac and there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. So that's been the bulk of my week has just been kind of perusing this thing and, uh, and uh, watching little known documentaries in preparation for a podcast. It sounds like a good week, man. And you know, that art of the rise of Skywalker, I don't own it, but our buddy, Michael Condon from two med to back to tank and sometimes the septic tank, uh, he actually showed me some really cool stuff from that book, man. So, I mean, you've got you've got some stuff to look forward to on that. I think that people should all take a look at those Art of books. And, you know, we've got some stuff to talk about um, that's coming out. Like, this isn't the end. This isn't the end of it. Yeah, Isaac and I just kind of went through the first half of it. And he was just asking me, like, well, who's that? And that wasn't in the movie. And why is that there? And what is it? And I was like, concept art, idea art. Like, just 
let it just let it breathe in its own space, kiddo. We'll we'll get to it eventually, you know. <laughs> awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that for sure. Let's see what I've been up to this week. Um man, okay, so we got that Black Spire paperback that came out. That was probably the first thing I got into this week. I had it delivered uh from Amazon the day of that it came out on Tuesday. And um I I gotta tell you what, man, it stunk. <laughs> And really? I'm not. I'm not talking about. But I'm not talking about the content of it. Like I'm talking that smells stink a whiff. Like it is the <laughs> smelliest book I've ever had ever in my hands. I don't know if it's something to do with the ink, but I, I like opened up that package and it smelled like a straight sewer, man. Ugh. I mean, and I, I let it air out a little bit too. Like I actually got it right here. Let me see if it's cleared up a little bit. Oh, <laughs> no, dude. No, dude, it's rough. P. Yusa. It smells a little uh, Gamorian. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, I can't imagine what that smells like. Gamorian. <laughs> it's been real hot here too, man. It's been swampier than a Gamorian's <laughs> crack. Like yeah. it has been nuts. Like we actually don't have fans or air conditioning in our factory right now because we're trying to, you know, with 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 us living in a pandemic, we have to, you know, take strides against you know, passing the virus on. And we work in close quarters. We've been working in close quarters for the company's been there for over 30 years now. So it's been like a major change, you know, with masks and no air conditioning in 90, 88 ish degree weather. It's been pretty Gamorian in there, man. It's nuts. It's the same with us, you know, with, with construction sites, with new projects, the air conditioning doesn't really get turned on because it's all still being installed. So even if it is um, indoors, it's, it can be a scorcher in there. So lots of fluids, your mask. We wear, you know, N95 masks because I work with fiberglass. So anybody that says that they can't wear a mask for a half an hour is full of shit. Cause I wear those yeah. things eight, nine hours a day and I'm sweating in them. So not only do they have all the particles, but they have sweat and I got to use those masks sometimes more than one day in a row, a single mask because they're in, they're in hard, hard, hard supply right now. So anybody's telling you that they can't wear a mask to go into a store needs to grow a fucking spine because there are those of us who don't have a choice but to wear this stuff every day. And I'm no hero. There's real heroes out there, doctors and nurses and people like that. I'm just a guy trying to make the facilities that those doctors and nurses can work in. So wear your damn mask, people. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. Absolutely seconded from from this point of view. I, I mean, like I've been, let's see, May to July, and it gets hot in there. Like I said, no fans, no air conditioning, wear a mask every day. And, you know, I don't have a lack of oxygen to my brain, I, although there would be some people that would argue that based on <laughs> some of the things that I say on this show. But, yeah, man, guys, just wear a fucking mask. Let's see. This week, I also got back into Star Wars comics, man. Like, nice. I remember when you when you first uh, came on the show, I was like, yeah, man, I had to give up comics a little bit. It was just a choice I had to make. I've been working a lot of overtime lately. So I was like, you know what? I can I can afford getting comics again now. So I went ahead and I uh, went to the comic shop the day before Independence Day, Friday, because I knew they were going to be closed. And I walked up there and I, I had like a handful of Star Wars comics. And, and my buddy, uh, the guy who who works at the store, he's like, First thing he says, you want Star Wars back in your subscription list? <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it, man. I, I kept, uh, I kept Batman going on cause you know, Batman and detective comics, they, not too many of those come out comparatively to all the Star Wars titles that you get. So I'm really excited. We're going to be talking a little bit about that today. Um, the only other thing that I can think of 
is I got a couple of Power of the Force 2 figures come in the mail. Whoa. Um, yeah, I got, uh, you know, I'm working on my collection for that. I got an Obi-Wan long saber and a Luke Skywalker in X-Wing pilot gear with a short saber. And very specifically, that's kind of what I'm targeting right now. Whenever I hit eBay or hit up any stores or anything, I'm trying, I'm doing that crazy nerdy stuff where, you know, you've got the short saber, you've got the long saber, and then you've got the long tray with the short saber, the transition mm-hmm. boxes mm-hmm. and the bubbles. So I, what that means is I'm going to have a ton of Luke Skywalkers before it's all said and done. Uh, you know what? There, there is a severe shortage of Luke Skywalker action figures anyway. I think we need more of them. And stop making Luke Skywalker action figures, Hasbro. Come on. <laughs> I want other figures. Where's my Cad Bane Black Series rumor? It's agree with that. Later this year. It's coming later this year. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I've got 10 Luke Skywalkers. That's enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's about it for my week, man. And since we got a lot to talk about, how about we just go ahead and dive into the news? Like, what, what stood out to you, first of all? Like, what do you want to talk about today? Well, we got a lot of news that we want to get to. Um, I do have two corrections that I need to make for myself from last week. I said I was reading the second Darth Bane book last week, and I said it was uh, Path of Destruction. It's actually the rule of two. I misspoke. The other thing that I goofed up on last week when we were talking about Panaka and his end, I said that it was in Bloodline, and it is not. It is in Leia Princess of Alderaan is where we find out that he's a moth uh, working for Sheevy babes. Um, so I just wanted to throw those out. And, you know, since people like to shout at people about things, nobody yelled at me, but I'm just saying, I don't want to get corrected. I call my own mistakes. The other thing that I do want to say before we get uh, headlong into the news is this past Thursday, um, I did a Patreon episode with uh, Kyle and Carlos at Tumbling Saber, uh, their show Sith Disturbers. It was fun and we got serious towards the end. So if you want to check that out, Tumbling Saber forward slash I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash Tumbling Saber. You can see it there. Sometimes I get released a few weeks afterwards. So it was a good time over there. Now, news. Let's talk news. Uh, First news thing. Somebody's excited. Oh, there's so much stuff to talk about this week. I kind of want to do this a little bit chronologically, and I wrote some dates here. So on the 29th of June, uh, last weekend, as we're recording this, we got, or was that Monday? I think it was Monday. Anyway. We got uh, the announcement, the cast announcement for the Dr. Afra audiobook. All right. Now, for anybody who isn't aware of what that is, it's going to be in the similar vein of the um, the Dooku Jedi Lost audiobook by Kevin Scott that came out last year. It's going to be audio first only, acted by, voiced by a, a cast of uh, voice uh, actors and actresses. And it's supposed to adapt maybe the first arc or two from the first Afra comic book with some added stuff in there. So if you want to jump into um, some of the names, uh, Pete, let the people know what we got. Sure. I can do that. Yeah. Afra is going to be played as, I'm sorry, Afra is not playing anybody. Afra will be acted by Emily Wu Zeller. Um, Jonathan Davis will be Boba Fett. Sean Patrick Hopkins as Luke Skywalker. Sean Kennan as Triple Zero, one of my favorite characters from from that comic series. Nicole Lewis as Sana Staros. Carol Monda, a name that's familiar to a lot of us right now based on books that have recently come out, i.e. Shadowfall, will be Maz Kanata. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ewan Morton is going to be the Emperor. A favorite of mine, Catherine Tabor, will be playing Leia Organa. And Mr. 
the legendary Mark Thompson will be Darth Vader. That's a solid lineup and something I wanted to say about Mark Thompson. Anybody who's done any audiobooks for Star Wars in the last what, 30 years? I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he did the voice work for the Heir to the Empire books. Mm-hmm. He revealed that he was going to be voicing Vader a few weeks ago on Pete Fletzer's show Around the Galaxy. I think it was his episode 69, just like our episode 69 right now. So that's been kind of floating around for a few weeks. What's interesting about this cast list is a few of the names that are going to be in this. And I don't, I'm, I don't remember the first two arcs of the Afro series all that well, but I'm pretty sure there was no Mas Kanata in at least the first arc. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, I don't remember some of these names being there. Now, I know they had some creative liberties to add some things to the story, because um, otherwise, why do a straight adaptation? I don't, you know, that might not be the most appealing thing. But to make it more exciting, there's some other names in there, like Maz. And my brain right away went to, and I know that the timeline doesn't match up, but forgive my nerd brain for going this way, but like Luke Skywalker post his lightsaber after um, Empire Strikes Back. Maybe that was the connection to Ma somewhere that maybe that's an epilogue of this thing is like Afra comes across the saber and Maz ends up getting it. I don't know, but that's just my crazy speculating brain that that went that way. So the book comes out um, July 21st, which is just a few weeks away. So get your pre-orders in on Audible because right now I think that's the only way to get it. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. I'm uh, going to be listening to it on Audible. I actually read this article on StarWars.com where she actually kind of talked a little bit about why Maz Kanata is going to be in there. Actually, she didn't say much. She just said it's happening and that's freaking amazing. So a lot of speculation there, but we're not going to have very long to wait for that. Just a couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. And her name is Sarah Kuhn, right? Yeah, she said that... Uh, Correct, yeah. She said that she was trying to imagine everything that Afro was doing, like while she was off the page, like they took steps to expand her backstory, like the stuff without Vader. So even though this is going to be an adaptation of, of what happened in that Darth Vader series, we're going to be getting the story of, of like when we met her, but an all around like Afro centric tale, which is really exciting. Uh, the adaptations that you were talking about there, I think it's going to have a bit of an air of Pirate's Price. You remember that book? Yeah, Lou Anders, yeah. Yeah, that's the book that was told from Hondo Onaka's point of view, if, if any of the listeners are not familiar, because this is going to be told from Afra's point of view. And the, the reason I kind of made that connection, you know, it, because if uh, what you know of Afra's character, you know that the story is going to be twisted around with lies and embellishment, you know, because she's, you know, she thinks she's the sh- She kind of is. She is the sh- She's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's cool, yeah. But there's going to be a lot of embellishment there and it kind of twisted around like a bad situation is not going to be sounding so bad. So I'm looking forward to it, knowing the story already. It's going to be told potentially in a lot of different ways. And we're going to be learning a lot of stuff. I like where your head was at with Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. And we're definitely going to be talking a little bit about that later on in the show as well. But man, there's still so much really interesting stuff to be told in that tale between in that timeline, even though we got so much stuff in the comics between a new hope and the empire strikes back, that could be a very well could be a connection to why Maz Kanata has that. So two weeks. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks away. Now what's cool about Afra in, in this 
timeline and expanding her character within the uh, the guise of kind of the larger saga is that we get some really weird, interesting things thrown into the the Afro comic book that don't really appear anywhere else, which is one of the reasons why I love her the first comic book run that came out. Because when people would ask me, like, what comic books to pick up, Afro was my go-to first, always, because it took risks that the rest of Star Wars seemed to be kind of locked into a little bit of a box where Afra was kind of free to do anything where she's kind of the Indiana Jones, you know, she's an archaeologist. So she was able to find these really weird things. And it's, it's a lot of those weirder aspects of Star Wars that I really love. Um, she finds, she, she comes across like this prison planet and there's an, there's a wrecked Jedi starfighter and there's these things called hook spores that are force sensitive or it, it's so crazy. Some of the things that they threw into her series um, that make it so much more fun because they get to be loose with kind of the rules of star Wars. I mean, there's like an ancient Sith Lord that I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's, there's all of this weird stuff that comes up in, in her story. It's going to be really cool to get a voice for Afra, um, having read the books. Now disclaimer, she did have a voice in the uh, the audiobook for from a certain point of view uh, for a new hope there was a story that she was in called the trigger um, and she was voiced by january lavoy who's done a ton of tv and other uh, voice acting stuff you know you look at her bio and it's extensive so she's she's got a, pr- a very solid career but she voiced um afra for this story called the trigger where afra gets caught by some imperials and she's ordered to be executed uh, by a stormtrooper, and she essentially convinces the stormtrooper to let her go by explaining what happened to Alderaan. That nobody cared about Alderaan because it was a faceless thing. It was it was an abstract idea that that it blew up, and she has him take his mask, his helmet off. Um, the stormtrooper, and she's able to get away. I'm I'm skipping over a lot of it, but she's able to get away. Um, when it talks, but, but she says that you know there was a Death Star. A, a trigger on the Death Star. Somebody pulled that trigger and it was easy for them to do because they didn't have to look at any faces of people that died. Um, so that story is kind of like Afra's switch from being almost an Imperial loyalist. She was working for the Empire very early on in her archaeological career. And she makes a turn uh, later on and she starts doing more work kind of for the rebellion. She's got a very gray morality, which is which is also very fun for her character because she gets to do some crazy shit that most of the time wouldn't be excusable for most people, but she, they found a way to write a balance for her. Kieran Gillen came up with a really cool concept for a character. And now Alyssa Wong is writing the new series. that just started up uh, with issue one just a few months ago. So I can't wait for this. The story itself is 360 minutes. That's six hours. Um, and by comparison, Dooku Jedi Lost was 382 minutes. So this is going to be doing the math, obviously just a little bit shorter. Um, very digestible. Should be a lot of fun. Production value on these books is always top notch. So I'm looking forward to it. Same here, man. Absolutely can't wait. So what else did we get for news this week, man? I mean, there was a few other really cool things. Well, the very next day on the 30th of June, we got um, kind of a book dump on us Um in the guise of the Mando, the Mandalorian, um, shout out to uh, Jeff Kelts. They're going to be dropping six different books on us. Um, the first two that were 
uh, had links in the StarWars.com article were an art of book uh, written by Phil Shostak and cover art by Doug Chang, which is amazing, and an unnamed original novel by Adam Christopher. There's a ton of sleuths out there on the interwebs, and uh, there was a guy about 20 minutes after the announcement came out that found, I guess, the placeholder on uh, Penguin Random House, and the code name for the book is Sparrow. Take from that what you will. Now, the first thing I thought of was the um, whistling birds mm-hmm. on his wrist gauntlet. Yeah. Um, so who knows if it's like a, if it's a tech thing. If I had to make a guess, it's probably like a prequel story um, or more more of a flashback type story than uh, something, say, in between seasons one and two. And I say that only because there's things that I would rather see on screen for him um, as opposed to personally what I think would be better in kind of media like this. Um, we got four other books coming along too. There's going to be an ultimate visual guide uh, written by Pablo Hidalgo. That's coming out by, uh, from DK press. We've got a level two reader, which is for, you know, little kids uh, called allies and enemies. We have what's, uh, and it says an eight by eight storybook. Not really sure what that is. And then there's going to be a junior novelization written by Joe Schreiber, essentially retelling uh, season one. All of that stuff sounds really good. Obviously, the first thing that that sticks out to me is the original novel by Adam Christopher. Now, I did a little bit of digging work myself, and I found out that he wrote a Stranger Things novel. Now, there are only two Stranger Things novels out there, and this is the second one. And it is called Darkness on the Edge of Town. And it's going to be taking place, for people that know the, the character Hopper, it's going to be like, telling a a lot of a a prequel story of his Um, among other things uh, you can get out of the general synopsis of it. So why that's interesting is because I think there's a lot of crossover of fans um, with star Wars and stranger things as well. I mean, there's, it's an incredible show regardless. Um, But I went ahead and ordered that book. It should be here probably Monday or Tuesday. So I'm going to be giving you a report on what I think about his style, maybe in the next week or two. Uh, have you read anything else by Adam Christopher or, or are you familiar or interested in that Stranger Things news? Not so much the, the Stranger Things. You know, we watch the show and we enjoy it. Um, as far as him as a writer, I only recently came to know his name because I believe he's one of the names that's attached to write from a certain point of view. Empire Strikes Back. Yes. So I know kind of when I looked it up, he I was already I was following him on Twitter already. And I got to give this guy a lot of credit. And here's why. Four days prior to this book announcement, he started popping gifts up on his Twitter feed that were old like Kurosawa movie gifts. No text, no nothing. Um, at, at least at first. And then it would say things like uh Tomorrow's going to be a big day, something like that, or uh, four more hours, something like that. And there were only maybe like three, four or five likes on each one. Like they just it flew completely under the radar. And then once the announcement came, he had another GIF and it was uh, with the text like, uh, see, I told you it was going to be worth it. So like he was like low key dropping all these hints for three or four days before the book announcement and almost nobody caught it. So props to him for playing that game because I'm sure it was fun for him. So... I I'm excited for the book. You know, I just, I don't know what, what to expect. I, I don't know what kind of expectations I want to put on it given how good the show has been. You know, I don't want to say like, I'm expecting it to be just as good because the creative minds of 
John Favreau and and all the writers and Dave Filoni and the and these the 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 A plus team of of directors that we had for season one. Like it's going to be really hard to get to that level, I think. And again, not knowing what his writing style is like, I'd like to think that you know he'll get us there. I mean, there's a reason why they asked him to write the book in the first place. So you got to put your stock in you know Del Rey and all of those people. So book comes out December first, I think is what it said on the pre order. So six months away. So we got to wait. Yeah. I'm super excited. I think that, uh, the rollout of all of this stuff, this publishing program is going to kind of start in the fall and then go all the way until spring of 2021. So I don't, mm-hmm. it, 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 it didn't specify what is going to be coming out first, but man, ready for that novel. Looking forward to the art of the Mandalorian. I feel like we've already seen so much of it already in the credits, you know, and a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So I'd be interested to see all the stuff that we haven't seen yet because they've, they've been very forthcoming with a lot of their behind the scenes and creative work, anything attached to Phil or Doug Chang, I get excited about. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be a definite must buy. Um, Pablo Hidalgo always knocks it out of the park with the visual guides. Big fan of that stuff. You know, that's, that's for the people that love the cantina and like, want to know all the stuff that's going on in the background. Right, right. The Art of Book is is scheduled to come out December 15th. So, and, and from what I understand, some the pre-orders are up for those as well. So if you want to go and look and find them, they the links are should be around. Nice. You know, and in addition to these, what is it, six? Yeah, six books coming out. There are going to be Mandalorian-inspired comics. And it says in this article that it's going to be coming from Marvel and IDW. So that means... Right. Yeah, that means that not only are we going to get, you know, the adult titles or the if we want to call ourselves adults, young young children in adult bodies, but for the younger readers out there, we were talking about the stuff that IDEW puts out uh, as far as their Star Wars comment comment, sorry, content. So that's something to look forward to for people into all that stuff. I mean, it's just going to be an absolute dump. And I mean that in the most <laughs> nice terms <laughs> they're they're gonna be shitting a lot of mandalorian content all over us <laughs> so. you know i i remember right after season one ended you know or during season one people asking like where's all the ancillary material there's so much that they can build on and you know one of those things as she became more of a favorite you know with cara dune like where's this cara dune backstory with her time with the rebellion and if that's one of these comics that we get, I I think that's the right medium for it uh, to have her story come out in comics. If we get kind of the um, Night of a Thousand Tears in one of these, you know, books or stories. Again, there's some stuff that I want to see on screen. I'd, I'd like to know in a flashback during the show how Moff Gideon got the Darksaber, you know, stuff like that. These books can focus on so many of these backstories. You know, we can get that Quill backstory, how he worked his way out of the empire and found himself on is he's on Navarro. I don't remember if he's on Navarro or not. Um, but yeah, the, the expanding this part of the Canon timeline to me is very intriguing because we don't really have a whole lot there. I mean, we got the aftermath books, you know, the two alpha squad books, Mandalorian and not much else. So I think it's the right step. I just kind of like, what the hell took y'all so long, man? Like we've been waiting for this. Shit. Yeah. Bring it. Agreed. And you know what? This is just nonstop news when it comes to books. Like after the rise of Skywalker, 
And with, with it being so long before we're going to be getting any more movies and we've, we've got the, the uh, TV shows and stuff coming out here and there, but a lot of this story is going to be told via books and we got some more book news coming already. If, if uh, you don't mind me going ahead and going forward with that for fans of the Clone Wars, we've got stories of light and dark. Now, what can you tell us a little bit about that? This is a, it's an anthology book. All right. Now the basis of this thing is that each author is given an arc or a character of something that we're familiar with in the Clone Wars. And they're basically writing it from a different perspective, either a singular perspective or just a character who's kind of just outside of the story. Um, so we've known who's going to be writing these stories. Um, I believe we have 10 or 11 authors. And before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of this list, because the, the names are, are most of them are familiar, um, established writers for Star Wars. But back in January, I had uh, tweeted out, you know, just a friendly reminder that we're getting a Clone Wars anthology book in August. And for whatever reason, it kind of took off a little bit. And I tagged all the authors in it just to kind of generate a little bit of hype. And I started getting responses from some of the authors about um, how they how excited they were. Now, when the book was announced last year in, I believe, August, I think it was at New York Comic Con when it was announced, the only confirmed story that we knew was Zoraida Cordova uh, writing a story about Ventress. That was the only one that we knew was confirmed. Now we know that it's um, going to basically center around the episode Bounty from Clone Wars. And uh, her story is called the Night, uh, the Lost Night Sister. So that one, that we, that one was confirmed before January. But as I started getting more responses, and they started getting a little more cryptic in the way they were talking, Lou Anders, who wrote the Hondo book, the uh, Pirate's Price, he back then said that uh, mine is a two episode arc, meaning that's his source. Uh, also told from a singular character's point of view, is very fun for to write his character. I might add, even if it wasn't Hondo. Now. Lou Anders is now confirmed to be writing a story centering on Dooku, plus a little bit of Hondo. He says Hondo's in his story, which is always good. And it's going to be centered on the episodes uh, Dooku Captured and Gungan General, but more from Dooku's point of view. We have uh, Preeti Cheever is writing a story about Anakin that takes place around the same time as the Hostage Crisis um, episode. Uh, Jason Fry was also very cryptic in his tweets, um, using a bit of Yoda speak. Um, I don't have the exact quote right now. Um, so it was pretty obvious he was writing Yoda and he is, uh, from the season one episode ambush, uh, Rebecca Roanhorse uh, revealed during that tweet thread that she was going to be writing Maul, um, from the brothers episode. And her story is going to be centering mostly on Maul rebuilding himself before Savage press finds him. So it's going to be really cool just to kind of get in his head and see all this anger and all of that that's driving him to um, keep going. So uh, Greg Van Eekout is writing a story between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which takes place at the same time of the Lawless uh, episode. E. Ann Convery is writing the only original story in the book, even though it is centered loosely on one of the episodes uh, called Massacre. Her story is going to involve a lot of Mother Talzin and the Night Sisters. She says uh, in the StarWars.com article about this that she had some long conversations with Sam Witwer uh, to kind of get into Maul's understanding of Talzin and how he viewed her as a quote-unquote son and to try to find like an empathetic angle uh, to Mother Talzin. 
Uh, let's see here. Sarah Beth Durst is writing from an interesting one. She's writing from the perspective of Katuni, who was one of the Jedi Padawan that Ahsoka took out to build her lightsabers, I believe. And hers uh, is called A Necessary Bond. Yoon Ha Lee is writing a story from Rex's perspective. But this one's going to, I hope this one gets really deep because I want to know more about it. His takes place during the Umbara arc, which if you don't know the Umbara arc, that's the Ponkrell and all of his nastiness. And it's one of my favorite arcs. And I, where, where does that rank for you for Clone Wars arcs, Pete? I mean, I'm fine with it. It's uh, There are a lot of arcs. Clone Wars as a whole, for me, is a little bit easier to kind of say I like it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and you're sitting here talking about like all these retellings, man. The one that stands out most of all to me, just to kind of step back a little bit, is the one from E. and Convery, man. The only mm-hmm. original one in this story. The only one that's not a retelling of an episode about Mother Towson. And the fact that, like you were telling us about how she had conversations with Sam Witwer that is exciting because a lot of people don't particularly think that Mother Towson is much of a nice mother in, in a way. But yeah, he's sitting there as her son, as it were, you know, as as the person who is Darth Maul uh, for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. He was he's going to look up to her as a mother and try and forgive her a little bit. So there's going to be a little more empathetic view into what her relationship as a mother is to her daughters and sons. So we might get some really exciting stuff as fans of Clone Wars that we already are not familiar with. And Night Sister stuff is always awesome because it's spooky and metal as hell. But yeah, sorry to hop off there. What, what were you going to say about Umbara? No, the, the arc with Poncrell for a quote-unquote kids show got really dark and really heavy. And um, it was you know, as quote unquote violent as a show got as a cartoon, like this one was way over the top and it went there. You know, this says something about Clone Wars during that time of production that they were not afraid to take those risks and push the show that far into a kind of a more mature level um, to see, you know, uh, Poncrell's uncaring, his unfeeling for these clones as numbers and how much the clones, you know, bandied together to make sure that, you know, their survival was, was key because they were losing, you know, Punkrell was just sending them all to die, you know, every, after every wave. Um, so that, that's, that, that's why that, that arc stands out to me more than anything else is just how, how, how really dark and ugly it gets, you know, what, what war in this fictional sense, how, how bad and nasty it can be when the, when your leadership is really uncaring and just sees the clones as cannon fodder. So I'm hoping that whatever we get from Rex out of that is, is very much the emotional side of losing his brothers in arms, you know, with under the leadership of Pong Krell. So that's, I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, man. Like absolutely. Krell was a complete bag. And, and you know, when, yeah. when it comes to some of my favorite things about clone wars, I got to say it's all about the clones. Yeah. There's tons of Jedi, tons of politics, tons of space battles, but getting to know all the clones and to really bond with them and get inside of their heads and their individuality, even though that they are physically almost always the same. That was some of the great stuff right there. So that is, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's going to be a fantastic story right there. Cause Krell, the clones are everything. So you were going to move on to the next one. Yeah. We're, there's two more. Um, Ann Ursu is writing uh, a Padme story centering on the episode heroes on both sides or, I believe I may be on that arc. I think it was like a Naboo arc 
I don't remember it all that well. So, um, and like we said last week, I'm down for any Padme material that we get because I love Padme. She, she's royalty to me. She's royalty, and to everybody else because you know she was queen. And the uh, the last one that we got here, Tom Engelberger, my boy, my friend. I've never met him. He when that tweet thread popped up back in January, he said, and I'm going to, this was a quote, and this is from January 12th. He said, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell, but I'm pretty sure you, I'll capitalize, I'm pretty sure you will know the character I chose. And I responded back with the gif of Mr. Bean touching the side of his nose, like, oh, I know. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, my Twitter handle is Cad Bane's Bounty. So when he said that, like, I went, <gasps> We're getting the Cat Bane story. And I was so geeked about it that he was going to be writing a story from Cat Bane's point of view, but he didn't confirm it. He just kind of threw that out there. So now it is confirmed as of this article from a few days ago. He is writing Cat Bane uh, during the Crisis on Naboo arc. In the in the article, he says that he was really enthralled with the characters of Ahsoka and Ventress and how their characters cross paths when they do and how this Cad Bane story is like a junction of a few different characters coming together at one time. He says it was very much a, uh, a Western that uh, Cad Bane, as we all know, if you know kind of Western movies and stuff is a, um, he wrote him very much as his inspiration of Lee Van Cleef uh, from the old Clint Eastwood movies for, for those who don't know. And the story is all from Cad Bane's perspective. Now, full disclosure, I love Cad Bane. That's my dude. So when this book comes out, I might just jump to the story first, wherever it is in the book, because I need it. I need more of that blue skin Duros in my life. What do you think? Super stoked for it as well, man. Cad Bane, there's a lot of questions still remaining about Cad Bane. And we, we got a little behind the scenes stuff. If, if uh, people were at Celebration 2017 in Orlando, there was a a, a panel with, Pablo and Dave Filoni, where he actually played some, it was kind of just some material, a lot of storyboards that were actually voice acted between a show off between him and Boba Fett. And you know what it did? All it did was create more questions. So super excited, always down for Cad Bane. And of course, man, he's your buddy. He knew, he knew what he was talking about. We'll add Tommy to the circle of author friends that you have <laughs> along with Mr. Chucky. So Chucky Soul, Tommy Engelberger. That's my dude. And this one right here, that's for Cad Bane. Miller time to that for sure, my friend. Well, you know what you did? You actually got me a little more excited about this book because when I first read that article, I was like, you know, a little lukewarm on it because it was majority stories that we've already been told, you know. But now, the, now that you and I have kind of talked about it, and especially talked a little bit about how the Afro novel, I'm sorry, the Afro audio book, audio drama, whatever you want to call it, how there's going to be some creative license in there to just kind of, you know, with a book, it's easier to hit some inner monologues of characters than it is in a TV show or uh, a movie. So that's kind of what I'm now excited about, getting retold these memorable episodes, but getting inside of the heads of whoever's in the point of view. You know, that's so now I'm excited about it. Uh, definitely going to be pre ordering that as well. Yeah. And that comes out August 25th. So much coming out this summer. I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. Well, we got some more book news. If you don't mind me moving on to that, what more book news? How can we have so much? This is supposed to be like the, like the dead 
like this is like you know the the dark times for Star Wars news, and here we are talking about everything uh, in print. Yeah, in fact, this whole episode is one hundred percent going to be. Well, I'm sorry, seventy eight percent going to be based on Star Wars in print. <laughs> yeah, the other seventy seven percent. But how about seventy seven? Yeah, yeah, seventy seven. Thank you. But man, you know, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about that Black Spire short story, if you don't mind. Let's do it. Yeah, so Delilah S. Dawson, as we all know, last year released the book Black Spire, a Galaxy's Edge novel that is great stuff for fans of Vimerati and Batu. And it was a lot of information that we got about Galaxy's Edge, the parks, before they were ever even opened. So it was kind of a, it felt like a prequel to whatever we found out. And it's also still being marketed as kind of a companion. It's like visiting the park without visiting the park, more or less. So we got some more, this little short story that came out with this smelly ass book. And uh, <laughs> I was pretty excited about it, man. And, and before we kind of touch on some of the story, like if you guys don't want to hear this, uh, just kind of skip ahead, maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, uh, or just go ahead and pick up the book. You can get it on the ebook as well. It's uh, updated the ebook, or you can just drop 10 bucks and have Amazon send it to you in two days and just wear nose plugs whenever you do that, man. So anyways. I'm really not selling it for them. I'm so sorry. It's got to be the ink. I know. I, you know, I love the smell of books. I really do. That's why it's kind of like opening up a vinyl record. When you open that, you you just tear tear the plastic off there and you, it just smells amazing. It's always been that way with books. So I'm sitting there just like feathering the smell in my face and I almost threw up, man. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> but I got I to gotta tell you guys the truth. I'm wa- I'm wondering if um if if your copy is used and the previous owner was the Dianoga, <laughs> yeah, or a Gamorian, more like. Yeah. Anyways, what a wonderful smell you discovered. <laughs> yeah, I thought the book smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> so, what did you think about this short story? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, it you know, it, it's called uh, "Return to a Shattered Planet," and it it is short. It is uh. It's an adventure, you know. It, it, it's another little caper that Vimerati gets herself into. There's some there's some cool little nuggets thrown in there, going back to the Phasma novel, which is where this is almost a direct follow up to Phasma as as opposed to Black Spire, even though Black Spire characters are are in the story. Um, the one thing before we get too much into you know characters and stuff like that, I don't remember her saying in either Phasma or in Black Spire that she had been to Mustafar. And in this story, she says that she had been to Mustafar before. So if that's something that we didn't know before, I need to know that. I need to know what's going on there. It definitely stood out to me as well. And I've read, sorry, listened to Phasma twice, but I don't remember them saying anything about that uh, Mustafar. Like this was, it was pretty much straight Parnassos. Right. So let's get into the meat of this thing. So what happens, Pete? So basically, if you remember the book Phasma, and if you haven't read it, you really need to check it out. And I'm not going to spoil too much about it. But there is a character that Vimerati meets in in that book that more or less gets left behind on Parnassos. And Vimerati gets a ship from Hondo Onaka alongside other beloved characters like Chewbacca and Krykai and Pook the most depressed droid I've ever met in my life that hates all humans. <laughs> and he's not a murder bot, not really, but he's just, he's just so depressed all the time and miserable for his lot in life. Like even more than C-3PO. But anyways, they, they return to Parnassos to rescue. I believe her name is Siv and is it Torby? Was that the name of her child? Torby, yeah. 
Yeah. And basically they returned to this facility that she was left at, which had everything you need, like decontamination stations, um, because there's a lot of radiation on Parnassos and just enough food to kind of last you three, 400 years. So she's like, just stay put. I'm going to come back. As we all know, a lot of fucked up shit happened to Vimarati and, and another beloved character, um, Archex. The thing is, though, like she couldn't go, get back until now. So she's given a ship, agrees to have like all these people come back. And when she gets back to this facility, Siv and Torby are nowhere to be found. Except they are met by this, this group of people that have kind of overtaken this facility. And they just got this real sick look about them. Like they had only recently got back in from radiation poisoning. Like and Parnassus is just a horrible place. For all we know, these people could be the last actual residents of Parnassus. And so like what happens whenever we get there, man? Cause it, it was kind of, kind of surprising and weird and a, and a fantastic read. Once we got inside of that facility. Well, I, I think before we get to that, it's um, it's worth noting that they don't take the Millennium Falcon there. Uh, yes. Vi does fly with Chewie and the rest of the group. Um, they rent a ship from Hondo Onaka at your service. <laughs> yep they uh, they get a ship from Hondo and uh, they basically tell him uh, build the general and he's like, what if you don't come back? And Pook says, I don't care one way or another. Build the general. Like, <laughs> why care? Man, he's like, we got something to do. We're out of here. Uh, so yeah, a little brief uh, Hondo uh, <laughs> not in there, which is, I love Hondo. That's my dude. So they get to this facility. They find this uh, tribe of people and they're all basically dead-eyed except for their kind of de facto leader. His name is Jagnar and he's a bit of a jag-off, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. So he um, tries to come off as hospitable to uh, Vi and the crew. They tell Pook to stay back on the ship. Uh, to you know, make sure nobody messes around. And Pook's like, great, I don't want to be around you assholes anyway. So uh, Jagnar like invites them in for for food. Says that they have a little bit of food, and this whole time Vi knows that Jagnar's lying. He knows that she knows that there's stores of food in the basement to last a few centuries. He she knows that there's medical facilities to take care of, you know, whatever. Um, and and prior to Vi leaving in the Phasma book. The entire facility is essentially run by droids, and not there are none of them to be found anywhere. She starts asking about Siv and Torby, and Torby is only ten years old, I believe. Uh, Siv was uh, was a mother, but I don't think Torby's mother. So she's worried about their whereabouts. Jagnar says, "Well, we'll get to them later. I'll tell you about them, but let's go eat." And Vi notices these little black like crystals in their food, and she's like. Oh, my stomach hurts. I oh, I can't eat this, and I, maybe I just need to go to the med bay. It's it was it's really weird to think that every time they got up to move somewhere, like ten people just like very slowly and like blank eyed, like just followed them wherever they went, wearing their tattered clothes and you know with their sallow faces and stuff. So they start to they walk away from the cafeteria area, and she notices that uh, you know. Crikey and, and the others, like they haven't eaten anything either, which is good. And they kind of, they get in the hallway. They kind of start noticing that things are going a little sideways. She knows that Jagnar is lying. They take off. They just kind of start running. And Vi is very familiar with the layout of this facility since she had spent some, some time there during the Phasma novel. Now to set up the the time difference here, there's only about four or five months time difference 
between the Phasma novel, the end of the Phasma novel, and this story. So it's not completely out of place for her to remember the layout of this whole place. So they end up in like a, uh, a central communications room for the facility where there's video monitors and intercoms and things like that, where they can see the entire, uh, the entire base or whatever. And the, the tribe of people with Jagnar, they're right outside this door and they're relying on, on Crikey to use uh, her technical expertise to seal things off. And, and that. so they can't get in, you know, they're more primitive, this tribe, they don't have any, they have knives. That's oh, that's what it is. They they brandish knives and they, they throw a knife at Chewbacca during the um in the cafeteria and it gets stuck in his satchel. And Yvai's kind of like, I will then we need to get the hell out of here. You know, they start shooting. She doesn't want to kill anybody. That's when they she runs off down the halls and up in the comm center. That's that's the little bit that I forgot. Anyway, so while they're in there, she's telling Crikey, like, listen, can you work these monitors? I we need to find Siv and Torby. We gotta get them out of here. I made a promise to them. And it's in that moment, it, you know, even though we've read Black Spire and Phasma, you really, really get a, a good grasp for the kind of person Vaya Marathi is. That their backs are up against the wall. They're trapped in this room. And her thoughts are, we got to get these two out because I made a promise. So they get Crikey to speak into the intercom. They give Siv and Torby directions. They, too, had been poisoned and left weak. They are just not well. And Vi comes up with the plan to get everybody out. And they unlock specific doors. They separate the tribe into different areas by setting up um, kind of like bait. The bulk of the tribe is in one room locked off and Crikey is tasked with using the audio from that room and pumping it into another room close to some of the other kind of warriors from the tribe. If they get lured into that room and then they get locked in by Crikey, like she's doing all this stuff essentially on the fly because she's looking at a data pad, reading instructions on how to do all of this stuff uh, is kind of what it felt like. Yeah, it was it was kind of reminiscent of what happened in The Force Awakens with the, the Raftars. And I think that actually didn't Vi say she remembered a story that Ray told her about this or, or maybe Finn told her about that? No, Chewie tells her the story. Oh. Because in, in the beginning of the story, remember, she's learning Shriwook from Chewbacca. And that's one of the stories that he told her. All right on. Yeah, you're right. Was was how they closed off the doors and everything, and but and how Ray used the monitors and that to to seal off um, the Guavian Death Gang and Kanji Club so that they can then get in the Millennium Falcon and take off. So she remembers that they used essentially the same tactic to to separate um, all these tribes people um, so that they can then make their escape. Yeah, and she's not just learning Sherry Wook. She's learning to speak Sherry Wook. And that's crazy to think about. Kind of like how Han did that in Solo a little bit. A lot of gargles, a lot of spitting. It's just mm-hmm. impossible for for the human throat to really speak Sherry Wook. I, I bet it sounds really terrible to Wookiees. Probably. I, well, even, even the Jawas in Mandalorian talk about how, what was it, uh, the Mando speaking uh, Huttese? And they make fun of him saying that he sounds like a Wookiee speaking their language. <laughs> anyway, so so back in the story, they all get separated out. Siv and Torby are, are told, go put these radiation suits on because you got to go outside to our ship. And they're very heavy. Um, the, the suits are heavy but and they're weak. So they have to come up with some, some way to cover them uh, to uh, make sure that they get to the ship safely. And they tell uh, Pook, hey, we got two coming. And there's going to be some others following them. 
The two in the white suits, don't shoot them. Those are our friends. Everybody else, don't kill them, but you have my permission to make them suffer. Like, do whatever you want. Just don't kill them. And he loved that. She actually went on to say that this is the happiest that she had ever heard Pook in in her entire time knowing him. So they get out, uh, uh, Siv and Torby get out. They're making their way to the ship. And uh, uh, Vi, Chewie, Crikey, they start providing cover. They're doing what they need to do to make sure that they get aboard the ship. And um, they make their way out. And while they are flying back is... um, you know, by telling them, I mean, like these kept a promise and thinking that the stories, you know, happily ever after at that point, they get back into Batuan space and there is a, well, I don't know if it was just a dreadnought or a star destroyer, uh, first order. And mm-hmm. they get, they get on the line with uh, general Hux. I roll as much as you want. We do get another general hugs joke because, uh, Poe apparently told the story to Vimerati about the, the whole General Hugs thing that we heard in The Last Jedi. Don't fight. I thought it was hilarious, man. I thought, I thought it was too. What you know? What, what it does is it, it ties these characters together. Poe does not have any any interaction with Vimerati anywhere, and for her just to say like, you know, we can get, we can get under this guy's skin just by being, you know, cracking a stupid joke. Like it does just that little tiny bit of world building for me. That was just like I got a chuckle out of it, and I'm like, I'm gonna let it slide because. To me, it works. So they they basically say that they are on Batu for a job. Uh, the First Order tells them, uh, we don't believe you. They don't really vet them too well. They're allowed to fly down to the surface. And Siv is like, listen, we don't know what we're going to do. And we don't know how to thank you. And Vi says, listen, you can, when we get there, you're going to be able to have your own life in a new world, one that Siv has never seen before she comments on how green um, Batu is the same way that Ray says about Takodana. Mm-hmm. She says, I don't, I don't know what it is that you're going to do with your new free life, but I know the resistance would love to have you. And that's basically where the story leaves off um, where Siv and Torby live their life on Batu. But at that point we're coming into rise of Skywalker time. So who knows what things are like on Batu afterwards and whatever skills Siv and Torby have to contribute. Yeah. And that's where it was notable uh, for you to point out the Onaka ship that got lent there because they were able to basically use his name and be able to get back onto the surface. And he's like, you know, I'll, I'll just have to have a, have a word with this Hondo Onaka for not following regulations, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I think the other cool thing that I thought, and as a fan of Phasma, uh, another thing that stood out to me was the way that Siv reacted to the name Hux again, because there was a lot of Brendel Hux stuff. So yeah, it turns out this is the smarmy little son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget the, the name that she gave him, but it was, it was pretty damn funny at the time. I highly recommend that you all check this out. If you've already read uh, black Spire, if you've read Phasma and you like the characters in it, check it out. It's worth, it's worth it. Just add that paperback to your collection. Well, man, I'm pretty excited about this because, you know, I haven't been able to talk about this stuff for a long time or use this audio tag for a little bit. So let me just go ahead and hit this button right quick because it's time for. Comic Book Corner. (laughs) I imagine it would be harder for Vi to learn how to speak the language of the Tusken Raiders. She could learn sign language. 
that's true. But I mean, like, I wonder, like, what's the physiology or is it like stuff like mechanical stuff inside of the mask that's making these sounds? It's like guttural screams. I don't know. It sounds awesome. I, I, I've always been kind of tempted to take sound from the sand people's voices and like just put it over some metal, you know? That could work. Yeah, that would be beautiful, man. Like, I, I could fall asleep to that shit. <laughs> so, we're going to be talking a little about some comic books today, per- particularly the Star Wars mainline, because uh, I was telling you, I went ahead and picked up those comics uh, this weekend, and I got the first three issues of the Star Wars mainline that takes place concurrent-ish with Empire Strikes Back. So, how have you been enjoying this? This series, it, it it's good to get some expansion for this time. It just and just to set the stage, the first issue starts with Luke getting his hand cut off um, in the Empire Strikes Back. Now, previous to this, this has always been one of those areas of Star Wars that never really got completely fleshed out. You know, back in the day, we had uh, the Shadows of the Empire um, that took place in between Empire and Return of the Jedi. That story. Gave us a video game and a book and a soundtrack and all kinds of stuff to to help fill in that year or so of uh, story. But these comics are interesting in that they're probably going to give us some things that we maybe didn't think we needed. Two weeks ago, we talked about Scotty's uh, question concerning Luke's look, why he's wearing black in Return of the Jedi. And this is the series that could potentially give us that answer why how that transition happened to you know uh Bespin fatigues Luke into more confident dressed in black uh Luke Skywalker in the beginning of Return of the Jedi. So I, I'm enjoying it so far. I like how uh Chucky Soul is writing uh my boy Lando. Mm. That's that's the one voice that I that I I really enjoy that he well one of the voices that that I enjoy that he writes. Um he wrote the Lando the first Lando miniseries uh, a couple of years ago. And it was that, that first Lando miniseries is fantastic. Um, there's a lot of Lando and Lobot and, uh, Palpatine and, uh, some hijinks ensue. Um, so it, it kind of carries on that same kind of voice and you get how fractured really the rebellion is at this point, like how much their defeats during the time of the empire strikes back, like really, really kind of broke them, um, a little bit. Yeah, uh, I love the storytelling. Like you said, good old Chucky Soul, man. Uh, he just really never has steered me wrong in the stuff that I've read that he's had. I also got to think about the art. This dude, Jesus Saiz, holy shit, man. Like the level of realism with him and the colorists, it's it, like for characters that we all know and love, the characters that were in the movies, he gets some spot on imaging of that stuff like and even just like little smirks here and there the little lando looks like in, in between the frames and stuff uh knocks luke out of the park as well um uh, princess leia i mean it looks just like her it's 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 kind of a seamless transition from screen to page that i felt like now with other characters that are original characters that art is you know it feels a little bit different from the characters that we get. Um, I'm super excited about the story though, man, because these are the things that we've always talked about. Like how, where did the lightsaber go? And we still continue to talk about how did it end up in Maz Kanata's um, possession and stuff like that. But I love that this didn't start after 
You know what I mean? Like it, it just starts with Luke losing his hand and still having a, you know, Leia's still like picking him up and stuff, trying to get him. Like, even though like she still has suffered more than any of these dudes around her, and yet she still picks them up and is this incredible leader and stuff like that. But man, you, you got, you said it right, man. The, re- the rebellion is in dire straits right now. And we learn so much about why they're not able to communicate in, in, um, in different ways and, and why the empire is able to like take them out and smash them and, and just continue like the empire literally strikes back. And it's beautiful to see how they pull in a lot of characters that we've come to know in particular, the parents of Poe Dameron. Now, what do you, what do you think of uh, Shara Bay and what's his name? The dad, De- uh, Kez. Yeah, that's it. I almost said Dez, but that's, that's the book you've been reading path of destruction. yeah kez kez dameron and and shara bay who i might add the hottest couple in the galaxy oh yeah just beautiful people it's a good looking couple now what did you think about the imperial star destroyer called tarkin's will you know it makes sense Mm. only in that it's a remembrance of just how menacing tarkin must have been i mean he's the Tarkin initiative is his thing. Ruling by fear was his thing. The only thing that seems strange about it is that the empire would give him any reverence because I mean, he died. So that's mm. the only one thing's kind of like, well, he kind of failed. So, I mean, it's not like we've, you know, put up statues to the losers or anything and, you know, in the real world, but um, so yeah, n- n- naming a ship after him, uh, I, you know, I guess it makes sense because, you know, for him, it's uh you know, down to the last, you know, we're, we're in this fight oh, until we can't fight any more kind of person and knowing, uh, what his character was like in the, in the Lucino uh, Tarkin novel. And even some of the stuff that we get in Clone Wars, like Tarkin was very calculating. Uh, he came off as cold and stoic and all of that, but there's a reason for it. And Star Destroyers are every bit as cold and stoic as he was as a real person. So I, and and angular too. Peter Cushing had a very Star Destroyer esque face, um, so it's very uh, it's very apropos. <laughs> I've never heard somebody's face described Star Destroyer esque. I like it. I'm adding it to the repertoire. It's, it feels like more of an insult than anything. <laughs> that's a uh, that that's uh, patent pending on that phrase. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be on a shirt at some point. Now, I don't want to skip ahead too far ahead, but I, I want to talk about this character, Commander Zara. Now, in this first chapter, we get introduced to her, and she is the commander of that Tarkin's will. And we were talking about why the ship is named what it is. I, I, I can't help myself. I'm going ha- to have to just go ahead, and we're just going to have to group the three comics in, in together in one conversation. Because I'm so excited about this character and the reasons why she acts the way that she does, her commanding nature the ship actually is manned by people who have all lost something from what they, they call the terrorist attack on the death star. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, that, that thing being destroyed took out a lot of ships and a lot of lives were lost and it's not revealed who she has lost, but man, do you have any theories on that? Like the whole, like that, that makes everybody do their job a little bit better. And just to have that revenge in, in, in like their calculating nature, you put that together, it's efficiency and also just complete 
utter destruction. Like you see what they're doing to the rebel fleet, but what do you think that she has lost? It's not really been revealed. No, they haven't said, and it's really hard to place any bit of like sentimentality to Imperial officers. It's really hard Mm -hmm. to think that maybe they, they did, you know, outside of what we got in lost stars, just by the very nature of what that book is. And then, you know, again, what we see later with, um, Inversio, but those are reasons for defection. You know what I mean? Like this, this isn't mm. somebody who's still within it, who their loss solidifies their resolve. Um, I don't know if we see that a whole lot in the empire. It's an interesting take and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if I agree with it, but it just, it, it's kind of where my brain goes. Like I'm wondering if, if uh, Magna Tolvin from the Afro books is, has some kind of connection there. Hmm. But she's not really like Magna Tolvin's still out there. She's just not part of the Empire anymore. Spoilers. So there's that. I mean, but who knows? I, you know, I, my speculative brain didn't really jump to any conclusions while reading it. Um, and I read these when they were new and it's been a few months. Uh, I did kind of reread them a little bit uh, yesterday and today, kind of skipping little bits here and there. So a lot of this stuff isn't completely fresh in my mind. So what is your take? I don't have anything in particular about who it could be, but what stands out to me is she said that she's going to be whispering it in Leia's ear. Like that's the one thing that she wants to do. The act of whispering the name of the person that she has lost is going to hurt Leia really bad. So, I mean, my first thought was it's called the Tarkin's will. What if she's related to Tarkin or something like that? That's kind of like where my, my head obviously went, but I'm excited to learn who it is. I really think that Chucky is going to just really throw me a curveball on this one. And I don't know, every issue that has ended in these three books has left me thinking like, holy shit, man. Like it turns out that I had actually read the first two before I bought these. I bought them when they came out and I just completely forgot. It's really hard for me to, to have a book come out and have to wait a month, you know, to get the next 20 pages or, or whatever. But yeah, this series with its writer, yes, 100% want to talk about it every month whenever it comes out now. You having said that about, I, I completely forgot about that part with her and Leia, her wanting to whisper in Leia's ear. Is Zara from Alderaan? Do they have some kind of connection to the pan? I, man. That would be cool. Stuff to keep you up tonight when you try to sleep, man. I hate you, Pete. <laughs> So we got some really cool force stuff in here because you've got Luke Skywalker who Lando can even just pick up on it and be like, uh, so you're not in, you know, you and the force aren't really on good terms right now. You can't do this. Obviously we know he's not able to communicate with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda at this point, but he does something really crazy. And this is where our conversation with Scott or about his question is Luke touching that dark side. Man, he taps into something that I feel has got to be some dark side. He uses his anger and he thinks about old Poppy, Anakin. And through space, he's able to take control of several TIE fighters and get them to all just bash into each other and explode. Like whenever the Millennium Falcon shows up. What do you think about stuff like that? Luke most definitely hit a low point uh, at the end of Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I don't think there's any question uh, at that point in his life, it was the lowest that he had ever been. You know, he had to have tapped into 
whatever frustration and anger that was just welling up, because that's not the only time he does something like that in these first couple of issues, um, Mm -hmm. where he uses the force more of a, in more of a reactionary way, as opposed to when he wants to use it. And I'm just going to jump right to it. They go back to Bespin. They're looking for his lightsaber. He's trying to use the force to try to see if he can find it that way. And it it doesn't work. But Mm -hmm. when they're in more of a defensive position, and I'm wondering, am I jumping ahead to issue four? Because issue four is out. Yeah. Since you haven't read issue four yet, I don't want to, I'm not going to jump too much into it, but he does channel the same kinds of uh, anger into his actions where it's pretty apparent that, you know, Lando at one, one point tells him like, well, we need a distraction. And he's like, he does what he does. And he's like, is that enough for you? Like, come on, let's go. Let's, let's get a thumbs out of our butts and let's, let's do something. So yeah, Luke, Luke is at a very, very low and vulnerable point uh, when it comes to his force abilities. And it's very interesting to see him get to this place and use his abilities the way that he is, because even at the end of issue, I think two, he's mad at Ben Kenobi for not telling him certain things. And he channels the force and kind of creates this like energy bubble that breaks some glass around him on the ship. It doesn't shatter or anything, but it's very reminiscent of Vader finding out that Luke was his son in, I think the first Vader run of comics. Mm -hmm. Um, He does something very similar. He's on a ship and he just tenses up so hard that it it starts breaking glass around him. So um, it's a, it was a really nice uh, kind of parallel between the two characters uh, to, to get a moment like that. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he has no idea what he's supposed to be at this point. He's like, well, Yoda told me I'm not a Jedi. My dad tells me I'm not a Jedi. Maybe I'm not supposed to be a Jedi. Maybe I'm supposed to be something different. And that lack of understanding of, of your place, it means a lot to some people. And I think it would mean a lot to someone like Luke who has gone on this mission and so many amazing things have happened to him. And now he just doesn't, his path is no longer clear. So yeah, he's going to be getting pissed. You know, one thing that really stood out to me as well in the this, this second issue of this main line is we get we get some High Republic sizzle. Do you remember that? Yeah, we get, um, I forgive me if I forget the, the character's name. It was at... Uh, Commander Grek. Grek, that's it. Um, he talks about the idea of inspiration in the galaxy and kind of sets this parallel to something that had happened during the high Republic that as the, the known galaxy was expanding beacons were set out to light the dark places and messages were sent out that way. And he ends up his little diatribe by saying, let me, now let me tell you about operation starlight. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a very clear um, connection to some of the stuff that we already know about the high Republic. And again, Chucky soul right in that first novel that's coming on January. Um, the connections are all there. He knows what he's doing. And what's interesting is they were talking about how how people weren't able to get to the outer rim and stuff like that. And it was just a couple of paragraphs in here where he's talking about that. Like, you know, they built a huge space station at a great effort that that placed it in the center of the dark zones. So like all these places that are kind of habitable space here, albeit, you know, the outer rim is is different from the mid rim and the core and that but they're still usable. And when the rebel fleet is completely unable to touch these things, I'm sorry, 
talk to each other because their codes have been broken by the Empire. And if they try to talk to each other, well, you're just killing yourself and, and your allies by trying to do that. So they're going to look into this old thing from the High Republic. I'm really excited to see that because I think what we see in issues moving forward, we're going to see them when they were at their height in the High Republic novels. So that's going to be more things to wink, wink, nudge, nudge at, and then be able to look back to as we get those novels at the beginning of next year. Super stoked about it. Yeah. You know, up to this time, I think we had only had maybe one or two other High Republic references. Um, well, after this, no, no, before this came out, that Kylo Ren mm-hmm. issue two, I think had a reference where uh, Laura Santeca is talking about um, some High Republic things. And then Kevin Scott had written into Dooku Jedi Lost uh, a few names that will pop up in the High Republic era, and their names are completely escaping me right now. So, but they're there. Yeah, didn't Chucky also write that Kylo Ren comic? Yes, he did. This guy, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it straight out. You know, the, the Kylo Ren comics weren't my favorite, but I do like some of the things that were added in there, um, kind of like that High Republic stuff how he wrote Luke's character in that series was really cool. And, you know, and, and it's good to know that he's had um, the writing experience with some of these characters, you know, writing Luke at two different points in his life, writing Lando at two different points in his life. It's nice to have that kind of continuity of voice when we're talking about stylistic characterizations of, of these people that these characters that we already know. Yeah. So we end up going back to cloud city, my friend. And it happened a lot sooner than I expected it to happen. And it's, you know, with it only being chapter three or issue three of the Star Wars mainline, I felt like this is something that we were going to have to work our way to. And uh, we've got Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker and Lando and Chewbacca all coming back to where where it all happened. And a lot of crazy stuff happens here. Uh, You know, for a place that's been taken over by the Empire, all Lando had to do, he's like, don't forget, this is my city. All he does is pull out his game and watch and, and start, you know, pushing buttons and like the city just shuts down and they're able to sneak in. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's not something that I would like because it looked like that button was pretty big to just shut down the defenses. Like what if you just bump it into to somebody and then you <laughs> shut down the, I don't know. It just didn't seem very practical. Lando's not a practical guy. He's a, he's a fancy guy. Yeah. But some crazy stuff happened in this. We get to see Lobot again and he was hooked up all matrix style minefields to the uh like how did this happen what what did he do uh he contaminated the whole supply of tabana gas that's what it was yeah lando was able to tap into that and lobot started screaming a little bit because it was really uncomfortable to to be doing this stuff i want to know a little bit more about lobot what exactly is he is he an android or is he some kind of cyborg? What do you think? That actually that that answer is given in the in the first Lando miniseries. Oh, I haven't read that. What what's the answer? You, you need to do that. Um, there is a bit of Lobot having sacrificed himself to become what he became towards the end of that story. I don't want to give too many details away, but okay, to a certain point, he was regular, fully functioning assistant to Lando. He spoke freely. He was, you know, of sound mind and body and all of that. Uh, and, and by the end of the miniseries, he makes a decision to say like, no, this is the only way that we're going to be able to get out of this. 
So let's do the thing. And he becomes the silent Lobot that we know in The Empire Strikes Back. And that would explain why Lando feels like he's got such a, a debt to pay to him and why he runs to him first and foremost before they do anything else on Cloud City. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely want to check that out. His friendship with Lan- with Lobot is um, is very deep. Their their relationship goes back a little bit, and um, that again, Chucky Soul having written the, that Lando miniseries, it's great. It was it's one of the first miniseries that it, that I got through that was like it had a different emotional beat because you remember when this when the first Star Wars mainline comic came out, there were a bunch of five issue miniseries that came out concurrently with it. I think the Leia was the first one. There was a Chewbacca miniseries. Mm-hmm. Han Solo got one, um, and then the Lando miniseries. And uh, the Lando miniseries is top of the heap uh, for me. That's a, It's an excellent series. Highly, highly recommended. It. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool connections from that book going outwards. Um, there's some stuff in there. Again, Charles Soule, he put some things in that Lando miniseries that pop up later in the second Vader series that uh, he also wrote. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, if you know what, if you know what you're looking for. So do not skip out on that Lando, that first Lando miniseries. Definitely. We'll check that out. So there's a lot more connections to things like that. You want to know about in return of the Jedi as well. Like when each of these people, I'm sorry, each of the crew who arrives on cloud city, they each kind of, you know, split up to go do their own thing. And Leia goes off to the carbonite chamber, uh, the freezing chamber. And what is she up to? But, trying to figure out the decarbonization sequence, like how to do that. So that was kind of a really neat connection because, you know, you don't think about that. You just figure, you know, you've got this technology. People know how to use technology. Leia's resourceful. But no, he's she's actually trying to figure it out on Cloud City. And, and for one, she comes to save Han in Return of the Jedi. Now something crazy happens after this, man. Holy crap. I was not expecting what happened next. Yeah, uh... Our beloved princess um, becomes one with the fort. No, she gets frozen in carbonite uh, herself. She uh, she gets locked up in a in a nice block. Trouble for our princess. Now, judging from the art that we got of uh, issue four, and I know you know the answer to this kind of stuff, so I, I know I, I appreciate you not telling me, but it's looking like she's in some some deep sh- deep Gamorrean shit. Yeah, she she's in some poodoo now. So Luke is is off in this big old pile of garbage with all the Ugnaughts and stuff to find his lightsaber. So we don't know anything about that. He, I don't know, he's probably going to reach out or else he's going to be on Cloud City for a long time. So the only other question that I have for you, and you don't have to give me any details on this if it's spoilery, but do you remember at the end of issue number two where there was a black gloved hooded figure that looks like they're, they could be a Jedi or something holding Anakin's lightsaber out to Luke Skywalker where he fell. And it says, follow your destiny. Do you find out who or what that is? No, I, I can say definitively that we, we don't know yet by the end of issue four. But what I do remember is that when this issue came out, you texted me and said, holy shit, what's going on with the end of episode issue two? Who do you think that is? <laughs> And we had a little uh, tweet, a text conversation about our, our speculations about it. And again, it was a couple months ago before pandemics uh, happened. But yeah, we've had a lot of time to speculate on who that might be. 
Um, I, there's not, I, I'm not spoiling, but there's not much of that in issue four. It is touched upon. The only thing we really have to go on from your perspective right now is just that last panel from issue two. And the only thing we have to go on with that is the physicality of the character holding the lightsaber. It's a Mm -hmm. gloved character appears to be humanoid. We see like a skin color, like a tone on the arm because it's kind of coming out of the robe a little bit. The face is completely covered in black. So it's really, really hard to make any kind of a guess as to who that might be and what could happen to this, uh, this artifact afterwards. So, and and I can't even really speak to Luke's thoughts on the whole thing. Um, Cause that's all, that's all issue four. And once you, once you read it, we can talk about it, but I don't, I don't want to spoil anything because it, it is some really cool writing um, from uh, Mr. Soul. Cool. Yeah. Really stoked about that. And uh, to our friends and listeners out there too, if you're reading the comics as they come out, feel free to send us some comlink chatter to comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com or just send Rick and I a tweet or a text or something. Give us a call and uh, we'll, we'll definitely include you in that conversation as well because we're doing a little bit of catch up now um, just because I kind of stepped out of it for a while. The pandemic slowed us down. But I kind of want to, if if Rick agrees with me on this, I'd love to to stay up to date on the comics now. And so Comic Book Corner will probably be a pretty persistent segment uh, moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those loonies that, um, you know, I buy varying covers for books. I try to get them a day of release. Obviously, I enjoy the stories, but I do that more to support uh, my store, my local comic book shop, which you should be doing too. If you can get out safely, please do that. Help your shops. So yeah, I'm I'm always down to talk whatever's most current for Star Wars because yeah, I, I try to stay on top of it as, as best as I can. Awesome. Well, we've already talked about a lot today, but that's not the end of the episode, man, because we've got something that I'm super stoked to talk about, something that you found that kind of made a couple of rounds on on the internet. We got we got a little bit uh touched on from Mr. Hamill himself about a couple clips here and there, and we put out the call for people to watch it as well. I know a couple people have watched it. It's called Return of the Ewok. What can you tell us about this, Rick? Well, let's uh, let's go back a few weeks, and and I mentioned that there was a Twitter user who had put up a little bit of a video uh, from Return of the Ewok, this little mockumentary, and. Uh, Mark Hamill commented on it saying that, you know, the five minutes or so that this user whose name I can't find right now put up was the most he had seen of this, this mockumentary is essentially what it is. Now let's go back in the Wayback machine here. Let's take a little walk through the world between worlds and we're going to emerge in the more innocent time of 1982. So at the time we had in production, what may be at the time, you know, commonly known as Blue Harvest. That was the, uh, the the working title for what became Return of the Jedi. Uh, but Revenge of the Jedi was in production. And the actor who played Wicket, uh, Warwick Davis, and David Tomlin, who was uh, an assistant director for, Empire, uh, for um, Return of the Jedi. And I believe he worked on some Indiana Jones and um, I think one of the Shaft movies from the seventies um, weird kind of connection there, but um, they came up with this idea to make this kind of fun uh, documentary style film uh, chronicling Wark Davis's 
entrance into the Star Wars universe. So this little mockumentary has never officially been released. The only full copy that's available right now online that I found um, is on Daily Motion. It's uh, it's a very rough copy. It's like half bootleg, part somewhat remastered. It's kind of stitched together from from different users. Um, and the the video description on Daily Motion is all in French, and I didn't take the time to translate any of it because I'm lazy. But I did do uh, some other research on it and uh, had some help from a, uh, a YouTuber by the name of uh, Jim Grisriel, I believe is his name, if I'm saying it right. Uh, he did a little thing about it, and I pulled up some very interesting facts. So, yeah, Return of the Ewok is filmed in uh, around 1982 before Return of the Jedi hits theaters. From what we understand, doesn't generally see the light of day until uh, 1996. Wark Davis is doing an interview with Star Wars Insider Magazine and happens to mention that they had made this this thing. And the story goes that he may, Wark Davis may have the only known copy on VHS of this, of this mockumentary. So stories conflict as to whether or not he gave his copy to Lucasfilm for either archiving or restoration or whatever the fact is. But there has been no, from what I understand, no full official cleaned up version of this that has come out. I did see some users on Twitter say, well, no, it's part of this box set. There was an original trilogy box set that came in a completely different setup. Um, It looked I had never seen this thing before, but apparently it was included on the extras uh, for that. But outside of that, um, Warwick Davis has presented it at different conventions. Um, I believe the first showing was in, was in England. Uh, at least the first recorded showing was in, I'm probably getting it wrong, but I believe it was in Rockford, England or Lockford, England. I forget uh, which one it is, but that might've been the first public screening of it. And at the time, it seems like it was a very small affair. You know, it wasn't a big to-do like, hey, Star Wars fans come view this thing. It was just Warwick Davis had access to a theater. People showed up. That seems to be the story. There's a lot of conflicting information on it. Um, And then starting in 1999 with Celebration 1, Warwick Davis started showing it there. Uh, It showed at the first three celebrations to crowds. And that seems to be where some of this footage that became the documentary that we see on Daily Motion, where that comes from. A lot of it's just somebody with a camcorder or supposedly three different cameras in that screening space. Um, And that's where a lot of this was stitched together from. And you can see if you watch the documentary that there are some small clips that have the old um, StarWars.com hyperspace logo in the bottom corner. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember hyperspace or, or not, or for, for those of us of a certain age, it was a, um, it was like a fan club site. You pay a couple of bucks, you had access to certain videos. And I think uh, hyperspace was where we saw a lot of the early production videos for episodes one and two. I don't know how long hyperspace lasted, um, after that, but the logo is there. So some restoration was done, uh, through that. And anybody who's seen the rise of Skywalker, uh, making of documentary uh, that recently came out uh, after the movie's release. This is the part that kind of like really piqued my curiosity about this documentary because there is a scene within the, that making up for the rise of Skywalker where we see Warwick Davis like throw a backpack over his shoulder and he says goodbye to our main cast of heroes from Return of the Jedi. And I remember thinking like, well, what the hell is that from? I've never seen that before. 
jump a couple months later, we see these tweets come out. Here's this thing. Bam, we find it. It's 25 minutes long of just a really cute story. Um, again, it is really rough. It is hard to kind of watch, but it is, it's fun. And um, it's not the worst thing that Star Wars has never put out if we're including the, uh, the holiday <laughs> special. So, yeah. I knew where you were going with that one. Yeah, it's definitely better than that. And for you guys, if you want to check this out, I'm going to go ahead and put the link, the Daily Motion link, into the show notes. So however you're listening to, just pull up the show notes and just click it. Watch it. 24 minutes. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about it. Man, I thought it was pretty damn funny. You know, I I grew up watching, you know, my, mo- my mother is a first-generation English immigrant, so we watched a lot of... Uh, what we, I guess we'll just call them British comedy stuff from BBC, but man, <laughs> like the laugh track and everything in it, it just, the humor just really hit home with me. Um, and you were talking about how that they were making this in their spare time. Like they literally, uh, Mr. Tomlin would hurry up and try and do these scenes while instead of eating on his lunch break, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to add to what you were saying, this, this mockumentary was, uh, supposed to be kind of, marketing material that just never got finished basically it never got finished in post-production and it just ended up being lost until now so it's really cool thing to check out and i hope you guys do check it out so how did you want to talk about this thing man do you have any more behind the scenes or did you want to kind of talk about some of the stuff that happened in it um there's there is some behind the scenes stuff that's uh i for lack of a better term story related so we'll kind of jump into that um as we get to it but it does, it centers on Warwick Davis at the time, you know, in 1982, he would have been, I think, 11, 12? yeah, 11 yeah. or 12 years old, somewhere around there. So he's a young man. He's very bright eyed and he's, you know, eager to find his place in the world. Um, we do get some other supporting names in there. Ray Kinnear uh, as a, a talent agent. Um, his face was familiar to me, but I couldn't place him in any other things, but I know he's done some other stuff. Um, Robert Watts plays a, a producer in the movie um, who ends up talking about how or Kazanjian drops that name a couple of times. Yeah. There's lots of cool, almost behind the scenes look looks at some things that we end up seeing in the movie uh, in, in return of the Jedi later on. So, but um, I'll start off talking about just what the story is. And it's just Warwick Davis narrating the beginning saying that it, it comes time in every man's life when he's got to go out and find a job. So that's what he does. And it starts off with him basically looking at uh, like a jobs posting on a, on a storefront. And he sees the first job listing. And uh, do you remember what that one was, Pete? The first thing I remember him saying was how he was saying, maybe I'll just learn uh, join the Navy. But are you talking about uh, the weightlifting thing with David Prowse? Yes, he was. It was a, a <laughs> listing for a training partner with uh, undefeated weightlifting champion David Prowse. Yeah, he just he got lifted up on there, and, and like you, you see Mister Prowse. Uh, I, I don't know the name of, of that particular lift, but uh, he lifts it over his head. You know where people like they spread their legs apart from the top from the bottom, and it's like this really uh, exaggerated deadlift that goes to yeah. the top of your head, and. Uh, <laughs> Warwick is just hanging on <laughs> for dear life <laughs> right, right over his head. And he's like, Oh no, <laughs> I think that seems pretty dangerous. Yeah. So he, uh, he leaves that little fantasy and then he moves on to the next listing and it's a listing to uh, join a soccer club. 
what do you remember what team it was? I didn't write down what uh, what team it was. Yeah, he it was his favorite football team, Chelsea. That's it. Yeah. These are things that Eden and I would pay close attention to because we're a big uh, football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, big fans of English Premier League, too. So we were all just kind of like, well, it's not my team, but OK, Warwick. <laughs> but yeah, he ends up being able to uh, he, he's on the field with the guys and they show in the in the credits like uh, the Chelsea football team as themselves, which was also pretty funny. Yeah, it plays as a weird almost 1980s sports montage. Like there's a little bit of music yeah. underneath it. Yeah, he goes out and he's um, he's the goalie for them. And being smaller than the other, he's not. He's unfortunately not very good at it. What struck me during this this little cut, the second kick that comes at him, he takes a dive towards the camera, and I'll be damned if he does not smack his little face on the grass. Like <laughs> it looked, it looked like he hit his face pretty hard. And I, I mean, obviously he was okay, but I just I just went like, oh. Yeah, absolutely. Like he was, he was sacrificing his body on, on those, on those stunts. Mm-hmm. Warwick Davis does his own stunts, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, that was, it was pretty fun to see that man. And you know what else was cool is I try to think about how did they make this happen? Because those stands were packed, mm-hmm. you know, so they probably had to interrupt or maybe like did this kind of stuff before the game started. And just as like some sort of promotional kind of stuff, I can only imagine they come on in like for the movie Revenge of the Jedi coming out soon in theaters near you, Mr. Warwick Davis. And then like, he's just sitting there just missing all these goals. And and like you said, smashing his face on the grass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it seems like it would have been kind of a hard sell to like, listen, we're going to have an actor from the movie come out and we're just going to film this bit. And they're like, Oh, is it, Mark Hamill is Carrie Fisher coming out and they're like, Nope, it's this 11 year old kid who you're never going to see his face in the movie. And, uh, that's funny, but, but it works. Uh, and then, uh, we come to, uh, his, the third aspiration for him, which is, uh, he sees a, uh, a poster for star Wars in the window of a shop. And he says like, um, now that's something I can see myself doing. I forget the actual words. And uh, so it jumps into a bunch of footage from uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And it's him kind of reliving uh, his favorite moments of both of those movies. And there's a little door next to this window. And lo and behold, as we're watching the uh, the Bespin fight scene between uh, Luke and Vader, Luke pops out the door as if he was just plucked out of the movie. And little Warwick Davis is like, you can do it, Luke. Get back in there. And it cuts <laughs> right back to Luke doing a front flip back into the fight with Vader. And it was, you know, for 1982 editing technology, it was kind of really cool that uh, they were able to do something like that. It was really fun. Yeah, the transition was pretty cool. I mean, like, it's not the best looking thing in the world, but for what it is, like, it, it was it was seamless. It was pretty cool, man, and totally believable. He's wearing exactly what he was wearing, and he just kind of hops back into it. Yeah, and that's when Warwick says, I want to be in a movie. Yeah. He knows what he's got to do. He's found his calling. So he goes to the Maxwell Mercury Talent Agency, and uh, poor little Warwick is not tall enough to reach the buttons on the elevator to get to the agency. So he comes up with a little scheme to get himself up there, picks up a phone, Makes a little phone call. You want to take it from there? Well, he basically is able to mimic the voice. And I forget who he was mimicking because honestly, the audio in this thing was kind of spotty here and there. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. I, I got the idea 
that he was basically just trying to figure a way to get in there. Uh, so he, he turns into a man's voice and then it kind of becomes this whole Millie Vanilli overdub thing. <laughs> it's really funny. They got a man saying the words, but Warwick is still moving his face. He's like, oh yeah, this, this woman's here to see you. Yeah, of course she's blonde. And he's like, okay, I'll be right down. <laughs> and yeah, and, and you see the guy come down and he's like, oh no, my wife can't find out about this. And uh, <laughs> scandalous, scandalous stuff. Deep cuts here, people. Deep cuts. It's sign of the times. It was a different time back then. So when he met this guy, he's like, who Who the hell are you? Well, I'm, I'm Warwick. He's like, well, what can you do? I can play small parts in the movie. I play small parts. I, I like that. I liked it. But but then he he's like, well, go look over there in the costumes and see what you can find out. And the first thing that he does is he comes out with Boba Fett's helmet. <laughs> Boba Fett's yeah, his helmet and his blaster. And as this thing was recorded, kind of bootleg from in a screening room, the crowd in that room just erupts because, like it or not, people love Boba Fett, even though he didn't do shit in those movies. Um, people still love him. So, uh, yeah, and he basically, the talent agent, uh, Ray Kinnear, tells him, he's like, no, 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 you can't play him because uh, this is the stuff that he did in the last movie. And uh, Warwick says, oh, and he pulls the helmet off. He says, well, I don't, I want to be a good guy. And the agent tells him, well, you can be an Ewok. And he says, well, what's an Ewok? And the guy tells him, I don't know what an Ewok is, but they pay me 10%. And uh, (laughs) he tells him to go grab the box and uh, try on the costume and get the hell out of there. And that's what he does. And as he's walking out, he sees the the guy who was waiting for the, uh, the blonde lingerie model talking to another guy and he dips out jumps into a car, gets into a cab, ends up going to, I'm assuming Elstree studios or Pinewood. Uh, one of the two, uh, wearing, by the time he gets out of the car, he's wearing the, uh, the wicket costume. And this is probably the funniest moment in the whole thing. Uh, for me where he gets out and the driver tells him that'll be three pounds or whatever. And uh, wicket says, Ewoks don't have any money. And then he just hands the guy a banana as payment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's so stupid and funny and, you know, innocent as he's, you know, like, I guess an 11 or 12 year old kid. And he just kind of saunters away. And the guy's like, you can't really hear what the guy's saying over the crowd's uh, laughter. um, But you kind of get the feeling where he's just kind of like, well, you know, kind of stranger things have happened. And he takes off Uh, and Warwick heads inside and uh, starts asking some questions. Yeah, and the writing is so good on this mockumentary that that ba- that banana gets referenced again before it's all said and done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he he heads in there, man, and and he's just looking for uh, where where are the Ewoks supposed to go? And is this the part where he meets the main actors, or is or is that yeah, right? Yeah, at first thing he he ends in the hallway and knocks on uh, dressing room number eighty two, little uh, left to right. And then a quick look down as Harrison Ford, who, uh, of course, we know didn't really want to be there all that much on Return of the Jedi, looks down and he's sees little Warwick there in his wicked costume. And he says, you know, excuse me, sir, do you know where the Ewoks are start to meet up? And Harrison's like, well, what's an Ewok? He basically he basically tells him that he doesn't know either. So they go to the next room, uh, dressing room 84, and uh, Luke Skywalker's in there. Mark Hamill's in there. Ask him the same question, and he says that uh, same thing. What's an Ewok? And he looks down and he says, "Oh!" And he says, "Well, you know what? You know everything's kind of tight-lipped on this production, so why don't we go and ask Carrie?" 
And uh, we see they go to the next uh, door. Carrie Fisher opens the door in the in the Hut Slayer outfit, the uh, Slave Leia outfit. I'm glad you call it the Hut Slayer outfit because oh, yeah. that's what I call it too. We're, uh, we're a bunch of book nerds in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they ask her, and she says, "You know what? I think you should go to Jabba's palace." And he's like, "Where is that?" And she says, "Studio, I think eight is what, or stage eight, something like that." And as he walks away, he thanks them. And uh, Carrie Fisher says, may the force be with you, which was uh, pretty sweet. So he's off on his way, goes to stage eight. And along the way, he sees a few other notable characters. Yeah, he meets Chewbacca and R2-D2. Was C-3PO there as well? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this part was actually really funny to me as well. Uh, Right up there with the banana scene. Because as soon as Chewbacca opens his mouth... The overdubbing is like, <laughs> it's just, it's the worst Wookiee imitation you've ever heard. And and guys, you've got to check this out because it's not the worst overdubbing that they have. Actually, I think it was uh, David Tomlin himself who, who did all of the, the, the bad voices that we heard. Like he ends up doing Darth Vader a little bit later and it's just freaking terrible. Oh, it's so bad. And I, I think he even did, um, well, we'll get to it. So, but at the mention of Jabba, 3PO kind of freaks out uh, and runs away and uh, Chewie runs away too. And I think R2-D2 was gone by the time Wicked, he showed up and he was like, nope, screw you, I'm out. So Wicked goes to Jabba's palace at stage eight and he sees, um, well, when he first walks in, we see Jabba uh, being puppeteered. Uh, We don't see the puppeteers, but he's kind of moving around and he's moving his tongue outside of his mouth. And there is this obnoxious slurping sound that's just laid on top of it that's like nothing like it is in the movie at all but it's just the it is so absurd and disgusting and ridiculous because it's just Jabba's tongue out and it's just this uh I don't know if I kept it was it was like it was like putting your fist in a bowl of spaghetti like it was the most disgusting sound it was so stupid it was so stupid dude <laughs> all the overdubs in, in the, the voices of this were just so bad that it just cracked me the fuck up, man. Um, yeah. And there was also Salacious Crumb. He, he, he spoke in a lower register in this as well. I think he did the voice of that. Uh, no, it was actually, that was voiced by uh, Tim Rose, uh, did uh, Salacious Crumb. But yeah, but no, but he, you know, w- Wicked asked him a couple questions and Salacious says, you know, basically go over there, but it's a complete, it's not even, <laughs> a, it's not even the Mark Dotson voice that we hear in the old, uh, from Star Wars to Jedi uh, clip, but um, so he uh, he happens upon uh, Max Rebo, and uh, he hits one of the keys on Max Rebo's uh, keyboard, and they start playing Lopty Neck, and um, for the OGs, you know, before Jedi rocks, that's the that's the Jabba's Palace song that I know. I was watching it with Isaac, and he was like, "What song is that?" I'm like, "That is the Jabba's Palace song that I grew up with," you know, and Lopty Neck if I'm not mistaken, it was written by John Williams son who was in the band Toto. So a little bit of a useless random information there. No, that's good stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so they go into that. You see a little bit of rehearsal with a couple of the dancers and uh wicket gives us a little bit of uh, his moves a little bit. He's dancing a little bit to lofty neck and um, he comes across a, uh, an assistant somewhere. I don't know. I couldn't tell who it was. And uh, he starts asking for um, where the Ewoks shoot uh, their scenes. And that guy sends him to 
uh, a producer's office, and that producer is played by Robert Watts, but I don't think it's anybody that worked on the film. I could be wrong. And uh, he goes to his office, and uh, C-3PO is giving him 1-4 in, uh, in his office, and he's just kind of taking it until uh, Little Wicket remembers a little fact from The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, he, he turns the switch off. <laughs> I saw it in The Empire Strikes Back. He's like, three movies. Three movies I have dealt with this goldenrod. And then he had an off switch the whole time. It was really funny, man, because it, it kind of mirrored some actual stuff. Like if you've read uh, the tell-all C-3PO book that Anthony Daniels put out last year, uh, he's asking for uh, just some basic things. He's like, I need an electrician, a larger dressing room, and our own limousine because R2 gets car sick or something stupid like that. But like just kind of basic stuff. And they're like, nope, 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 you're pointless. Nope. And, and he kind of got treated like that, you know, in real life as well. So if yeah, you haven't read that. It, it was weird watching it too. Cause like people laugh, like they didn't like C3PO or maybe he's just, you know, he's a little uh, annoying at times. And there's some behind the scenes stories with Anthony Daniels where he doesn't come off as the most likable person. Apparently his relationship with Kenny Baker was very uh, uh, tumultuous at best uh, that uh, Kenny Baker didn't really care for the guy very much. So I'm, I'm assuming by the time this thing was was filmed in that screening in 1999, most of that information was out because people really enjoyed when C-3PO got turned off in that scene. And then Homeboy turns it back on, walks him over to a corner, turns him off again and puts a lampshade on his head and says like, <laughs> hang out there, dude. Like we got things to do. So he's hanging out there with the lampshade on his head and they tell Warwick, uh, they, they call in an assistant to, uh, direct him to Yoda. And so they're, they're trying to get to uh, one of Frank Oz's assistants or something like that. And a Gamorrean jumps in looking for Wicket because when Wicket's leaving Jabba's palace, he goes through the legs of a Gamorrean and that Gamorrean is still looking for him afterwards. Um, and even him, like he's making these weird, like grumbly noises that aren't the like kind of the low guttural sound of Gamorreans that we hear in, uh, in Return of the Jedi. But it's more of a, I don't know. It was, uh, however, they did the sound. The sound mix for this thing was was so basic um, that it was, you know, probably David Tomlin again just going, you know, just you know, doing terrible grumbles into a mic for this Gamorrean Gamorrean sound. So, you know, what's really funny is I kind of got some, and this might just be because of the audio quality, but I got something totally different from that from that scene. I thought that when the Gamorrean came in there, the girl was running from him and then she hid behind that, the guy who put the lampshade on, on C-3PO. And yeah. I thought I heard her say he wants my number, but I'm not going to give it to him. She, yeah, she does say something like that, but I don't know if it was her number or somebody else's number. It is, it is a little hard to hear because people are still laughing at the 3PO thing, <laughs> but it is, I think it is the same Gamorrean that's co- that's going after him from Jabba's palace because we see him at one point earlier walking down the halls. Uh, the Gamorrean. Yeah. So I it could be both. I mean, he is a pig man. So <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Uh, so, yeah. So they get the, the, uh, get the Gamorrean out and Warwick finds his way to, it looks like a, uh, like a death star set. And uh, good Lord, Boba Fett <laughs> pops up and, you know, you hear little wicked's voice saying like, Oh no, it's Boba Fett. And by this point he knows he's the bad guy from when he put the helmet on earlier and (laughs) 
you hear Boba's voice in this. And I think he just says something like, Hey, you, or it's, it's just one little line, but it is clearly not Jeremy Bullock. I, I believe this is another one. It's, it's, it's David Tomlin just kind of like grumbling a line through the mask and it's, oh, it's awful. What's cool though, is the body is definitely Jeremy Bullock, which is, is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, think, that voice, the voice is, Hey, you, <laughs> <laughs> it's so awkward. We have a familiarity with these voices, even through the different versions of these movies that you just, you know, it's wrong. Like it just, you, it's just like everything about it just feels so wrong. Um, and it, and it lends to the humor of, of uh, a little documentary like this, which it's really funny to, to kind of watch that stuff. So he runs away and he gets in an elevator. He gets in one of the repulsor lifts on the death star and thinking that it's Frank Oz's office. And he comes out and he sees the back of the emperor's uh, throne, his chair in, in, uh, this, in, in, in the Death Star. And he comments on how if Frank Haas is such an important person, like it's odd that he doesn't have a desk or a telephone. And he, he walks up the steps to, uh, to the chair. The chair spins around and it's Darth Vader. <laughs> and probably... No, we got it. Yeah. I want to hear you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually wrote it down so I, so, <laughs> so I could try to do it right. But, but, uh, Wark freaks out and he's like, Oh no, Darth Vader. And this is another one of those moments that I think that as he was going down the stairs, I think he trips and falls because it, it, it just cuts as he's leaving frame. Um, but it looks like, he, like, Oh my God, I hope he didn't hurt himself. But they show him running back to the, to the elevator, to the repulsor lift. And Vader gets up and he's like, come back, Ewok. And it's totally not, <laughs> it's not David Prowse. And it's obviously not James Earl Jones, but it's like this very like phony mechanical sounding voice of just. Ewok, Ewok, <laughs> come back, Ewok, come back, Ewok. Um, and he follows him back to the thing and, you know, Wicked, you know, gets the hell out of there. <laughs> but it, it's, oh, it's so, it's so bad. It's funny. Like it's, huh, it's a high, it's a definite highlight of my Star Wars fandom to know that there was, you know, David Tomlin sat in front of a microphone doing a, a voiceover for <laughs> Vader running after Wicked, which if you've played Battlefront 2, you can do. Um, so I want to see somebody like overdub Battlefront two of, of Vader on, uh, the forest moon of Endor chasing Ewoks around, just going Ewok, come back Ewok, you know, like just taking them all out with the force. <laughs> I think it'd be great. So, yeah. So he ends up, uh, uh, leaving there back in the, uh, that producer's office. I forgot to mention there's a really cool, um, revenge of the Jedi, uh, like a one shot poster on the back of his door. That's just the black and red uh, image. That looks really cool. So he leaves there. He finds Yoda on, uh, oh no, he, um, yeah, no, he, he finds Yoda and he's asking Yoda, how do I get to where the Ewoks go? And Yoda tells him, he's like, Ooh, an Ewok, very rare you are. And how many travels you have in your future, something like that. And he says, uh, you belong on the forest moon of Endor, which I'm glad he said, because if he had just said Endor, I would have been like, wait a minute. But Wicked says, well, how, how do I get there? And Yoda, in his infinite wisdom, says, here's a ticket and a galactic passport to get you to the forest moon of Endor. And just hands him a couple of slips of paper and he sends him on his way. And 
tells uh, Wicked, may the force be with you also. And uh, he ends up at, uh, I'm assuming, Heathrow Airport at a Pan Am Airlines ticket agency, like a, a, a ticket booth, still dressed as Wicked, and um, comes up uh, to a part that the, the wall behind it says quarantine control. And as an Ewok, they won't let him on the plane because he's an animal. He's a pet. Almost. Sorry, no Ewoks allowed yeah, is what the dude says. Yeah. So he's like, oh, okay. And he runs off, uh, asks a, 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 a little girl where the bathroom is. And he comes out as himself wearing some cool sunglasses, maybe a little members only jacket and uh, goes back on the plane. And uh, talks to a he talks to a flight attendant beforehand, and he says, "How do I get to Endor? And how do I get to the Force Moon of Endor?" And she says, "Well, that sounds like it's very far away. I think there's an astronaut on your flight, so we should ask." Dude, him. dude that floored me as well. Like this, <laughs> this is where this is where the mockumentary gets ridiculous, and it's so fucking funny because it's like, oh, I think there's an astronaut on board. Well. Surely, like, you know, oh, I think I've heard of the forest moon of Endor, but you're going to need to go into space. <laughs> and, and don't call me Shirley. And, and, they're, and they're just walking the tarmac, just like, you know, people just hanging out on the tarmac and they come up on this astronaut. Yeah, I was I was flabbergasted at this point, And I forget kind of what happened in between that scene and this. But all of a sudden there's a fucking space shuttle. <laughs> yeah, it starts off with them on the plane. The plane takes off. It's in the sky. And then there's a rocket launch. <laughs> <laughs> like the plane's already in the air. And then there's a rocket launch. Like, did they, did they dock with this rocket ship? Like what the hell's going on, man? Like doesn't make sense. And the astronaut is sitting there like, oh, or no, uh, Warwick is, is saying, Oh, I'm sorry. I hope it's not too much trouble. And the astronaut says, Oh no, it's kind of on the way to where we were going anyways. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, just absolutely ridiculous. So, and and you hear him in his little voiceover say uh, over the rocket ship. He says, uh, "I hope I make it home for tea, so that, uh, like my my mom and dad won't be mad at me or, or worried about me, something like that." <laughs> Unbelievable! I love it, man. So he arrives on the forest moon of Endor. Yeah, and he's uh, he's wandering around a little bit. Still doesn't know where to go. And uh, the first folks that he comes upon are our heroes, which another scene that could have been lifted right out of the movie. They're look, looking over a log and he's all like, hey, guys, can you tell me where the Ewoks go? And they all turn around and look at him and they say, Han Solo, Harrison Ford says, uh, sorry, kid, we got our own problems over here with the Empire. I think it's Leia tells him where he should go, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, mm-hmm. he kind of saunters off, walks away, and they all go back to their main focus over the log. And then they all do a double take as he walks away. Kind of cool little thing there. Uh, and uh, as he's walking around, he finds more Ewoks. And they all kind of jump out. Oh. And again, going back to the amazing sound uh, mix and editing of this, they all surround him. And there's just all of these weird little squeaks and it really caught the attention. It caught the attention of my cat. My cat was looking at me mm-hmm. like, what is that? Cause it sounded like a bunch of like, uh, like chew toys or whatever. Um, and then those squeaks turn into squeals of celebration and they pick up uh wicket and they accept him as one of theirs. 
And then it jumps into a bunch of scenes of what may have been filming some outtakes from Return of the Jedi of Wicked doing random stuff. He picks up a, a giant blaster at one point and then drops it right away. He's whipping that slingshot thing around his head a bunch of times. And then we see one really funny moment where two stormtroopers walk into the bunker, uh, the, the shield bunker, and Wicked just happens to run in with like a couple of sticks of dynamite. Chucks it in behind him, runs out. The whole damn thing blows up. You hear him say, his little voiceover says, uh, whew, it was such a day. I'm so tired. You know, all of this hard work <laughs> taking down the Empire. <laughs> you know, to go back to that, the Ewoks, uh, like, because we kept, we kept commenting on, on the terrible voice acting throughout this whole thing. Terrible or wonderful or whatever. But you, you described it so well. It sounded like a bunch of squeaky toys. And they're, they're just squealing at the top of their lungs. And, like, if you've... It, I imagine a room full of chihuahuas. Like you ever just go to a place that sells a bunch of puppies and you go in there and then like all the dogs like lose their shit. Yep. That's what it sounded like. It was a bunch of yips. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like, and it was just, it's one of those things that's just so weird that you, you just start cracking up immediately. I don't, it was bizarre. The thing that gets me is like, I wonder if at this point of the filming of return of the Jedi, they had, a sound bank to go to and didn't have access to it for this. Like how, what, at what point of the production, all of that stuff came in, you know, paralleling with the, how they were filming um, this little, this little documentary. But yeah, so he uh, saves the day with all the other Ewoks. And um, after that, we see uh, Warwick Davis out of costume and he's talking to our heroes, you know, uh, Harrison and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. And he's basically telling them goodbye. And this is the clip that popped up in the Rise of Skywalker uh, making of documentary that it's this little 10, 12 seconds, whatever it is, of uh, Warwick throwing a backpack over his shoulder, telling them thank you, and them saying goodbye to him and him walking away. And that's the thing that kind of piqued my interest in the beginning about this, this, whole, this whole project. And as we see him walk away, uh, his parents and his little sister meet him at the edge of the woods there. And they're basically kind of chastising him of like, where have you been? And he's like, I got in a spaceship and that came to Endor and I was in a movie. And his father tells him uh, that he's got too much imagination. And he's like, no, it's true. I really did. And, you know, we did this and that. And he says, by the way, I I owe the agent uh, 10%. So can I collect like my allowance ahead of time? And his mother says, (laughs) you're not going to be getting any allowance for quite some time, young man. And they're all upset with him. And from there, we, we roll into the credits. And I'm assuming these credits are like fan-made credits because, like I said, this whole thing is completely Frankenstein together from different sources. But what we get in these credits is a uh, whole lot of Super Tramp. Yeah, Super Tramp comes jumping in our ears. And it somehow fits better than like Vader's voice <laughs> in the whole thing. Um, like tonally it just fits. It's, it's just so silly. I've come to really like this documentary. It's 25 minutes of just pure fun that they did on the side. I would really love to see a fully remastered version of this. Cause it's, it's just fun. 
100% agreed, man. And I'm so glad that you found it too. Like I, I would have watched the four minute clip that got tweeted around and been done with it. So, you know, guys, if you haven't watched it, obviously me and Rick loved it. We just started cracking up throughout this whole time. Do yourself a favor, check out the show notes and let us know what you think about this. I mean, like, cause th- this is, this is some cool stuff. This, this is not stuff that you see every day as a fan of star Wars. So, Get it while you still can, because you never know when that kind of stuff will disappear. There's literally only one link on the internet right now. Yeah, there's there's chunks of it on YouTube, but uh, it is only on Daily Motion right now. And from what I understand, it gets taken down regularly. Um, so if you get a chance mm. to watch it, you know, please uh, please jump on it because it's one of those little unexplored corners of of Star Wars. You know, that um, as fans, you know, we're always looking for stuff like this. And, you know, it's out there. It's been out there for quite a while. But again, it's not one of those things that's discussed a whole lot. You know, a lot of people don't seem to know a lot about this thing. And, you know, doing a little bit of research on it and finding out, you know, what it took to make it. And and the one thing that I really, really enjoyed about this thing is how on board all of the actors seem to be um, with this project. And I think a lot of that was probably just because it was Warwick being a kid who said, yeah, I want to do something fun you know, with assistant director, David Tomlin, but it's a really cool, uh, like time capsule for him, uh, as a, as a young man to, you know, now show his kids and younger fans now, uh, what it would have been like to be that age and then get the call to like, you're going to be in star Wars. Can you imagine being 10 years old and saying like, you're going to, you're going to be in the biggest movie franchise of all time. You know what I mean? I would have blown my mind. And he seems so level-headed about everything, enough to have this kind of fun with the movie and, and all of the actors involved. It's pretty amazing, too. And I love the story that he tells whenever he's hosting a stage at Celebration about how he actually used to write to George Lucas. He's like, I don't know if you remember me. My name's Warwick Davis. I, I starred in your movie, and I would really appreciate it if if you would send me uh, these figures to help complete my collection. Cause I can't find them. And George Lucas would send him the actual action figures and stuff like that. Yeah. He's got pictures of that letter and pictures of some of the toys that they sent him and stuff. And he's made a career out of it. He's done what? Six, seven different roles mm-hmm. in um, every movie since return of the Jedi. Yeah. He's a beloved member of the star Wars community. And um, from all accounts, a very, very nice guy from people that have met him. Well, thanks again, man, for finding this. Like it, it was, it's a really cool topic to discuss, and I hope that we find some other things like this, um, unearth some other treasures. I mean, I, I know I looked in IMDb for a little bit of other information about it, some trivia. There really wasn't anything, but there was a lot of suggested titles, very similar to this kind of stuff, and maybe some fan films. I maybe we could check some other stuff out, like dig, like continue scraping the vaults a little bit. So also to our listeners, if you enjoyed this kind of thing, or you know some other things that, that we didn't touch on, hit us up for sure. Like, let us know. And also, I'm going to go ahead and point this out to you guys. You never know what next week is going to have. This week was a pretty heavy week for news, um, and also just stuff that we wanted to talk about. We got a real long episode today, but you know what? Hit us up. What do you want to talk about? I'm just going to go ahead and say you got to send that comlink chatter via email and voice recordings to comlink, C-O-M-L-I-N-K at jamtransmissions.com. You got to try and get those in before Sundays. We'll make sure to share your voice and thoughts on the show. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcatcher. You know, we can easily be found on Podbean or iTunes, or you can just simply go to jamtransmissions.com and listen that way. 
And you can also follow what's going on with the show, like future topics or what friends of ours are up to by following at JTComlink on Twitter. Now, Rick, what about you, man? How can people interact with you and, and find cool stuff like this on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cadbane's Bounty. And I am always open for suggestions uh, for you know topics, things on the show. I had a few people say that they had never seen this documentary. And I said, hey, watch it. Let us know what you think. Um, the, the goal of this show is to be very listener um, focused, to be very interactive that way. We want to know what you guys think about things. Whatever your opinions are, good, bad, or in between, keep it respectful. You know, that's the only thing we ask. Um, and, uh, you know, we do have some plans for the next bit of time. You know, we have some people that um, have agreed to come and talk with us. Um, but again, we want to know what you guys think. So make sure you're getting your emails and voicemails in. If we follow each other on Twitter, you know, drop me a DM. I, I don't mind. And we can answer those kinds of questions here on the show. Whatever's on your mind, if it's something that's current, if it's some pressing question you've had for years and years that nobody's ever given you a satisfactory answer for, um, hit us up because that's the kind of stuff that drives our fandom. It's it's the conversations that we all get to have together, not so much just the topics that we get to talk about every week. It's what you guys think, and it's what Pete thinks, and it's what I thinks, and it's a conversation for all of us to have. All of us, all together, all the time, as our buddy Anthony would say. Yeah, we definitely want to hear from you guys. Just let us know what's on your minds in that galaxy far, far away. And just another reminder, check out those show notes again if you missed any of that contact info once you come up with your question. And be sure to get that link for that daily motion. Like Rick says, it gets taken down a lot. Well, man, I've had a blast chatting with you again this week, Rick. I've enjoyed discussing all the exciting bits of news that we had, that short story from that smelly book. Uh, <laughs> getting back into comics, man, that was a big highlight for me. And the return of the Ewok mockumentary, we'll call it the spinal tap of Star Wars, I guess. <laughs> I, it's a compliment. It's a, I thought it's, spinal tap yeah. was funny. It's one of the, yeah. But I hope you all have enjoyed listening as well. Be sure to hit us up with any questions or thoughts you might have. And with that, let's go ahead and close out episode 69, Rick. My buddy. And to everyone else listening right now, may the force be with you. May the force be with you and be excellent to each other. Like a 
I have spoken. 